You're now tuned into the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on thesonicbreakdown.com. Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson, and you know the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. Head over there and check out our articles and reviews. And let's get right into today's topic, and it's going to be a Let's Talk About It segment. And you know if we're doing a Let's Talk About It segment, that means that we're interviewing somebody that's very creative and inspiring. And today's person that we're interviewing is going to be a mother, a wife, and an author of a wonderful book that I think every children should read, especially children of uh, color, especially and black children. And it's called Little Black Child. And just to give a, a little kind of insight into the book, from my perspective, it emphasizes and promotes positive physical, mental, and emotional imagery for black children and children of color. Before we get into the book, let's get to know the person a little bit more. And so I want to say thank you again for Kyra Johnson for uh, coming on and talking to with us today. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. I thank you for the opportunity. So let's, let's begin. And, and where did you come from? What, uh, what city? I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, where, you know, everybody has the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> That's where it was actually founded. Kind of rough but humble beginnings. I was raised by a single mother with an older brother. My father wasn't really around. Apparently, he was around for maybe the first year or two of my life, but not to where I can actually say he was very much present. So, you know, that's kind of most typical in the black community, but it, it didn't define me as far as my upbringing was concerned. And what were some of the things that you were interested in growing up? Like, were you into sports or uh, more, you know, writing, singing, any anything in particular? When I was a kid, I always loved singing. I've always loved writing. I love dancing. I, I used to dance. I used to be a cheerleader and a gymnast. My mother actually put me in dance because I used to love to dance, but I, would, I, I had no rhythm. I was rhythmless nation. <laughs> so it was like her way to give me that structure, give me some rhythm, and... and it really helped me find myself. It was kind of like a way to break out of my shell because though I was outgoing and bubbly, I could be very shy and, and, and kind of stay within the shell and put on a facade for people. Around how how old were you when you said when you were doing that? So I started singing, honestly, for as long as I could remember and talk. My mom used to make fun of me because <laughs> she said, you know, I would... I would sing old school songs because, you know, for me, and I can't speak for everyone else, but I know a lot of times we kind of become a part of our our environment. You know, the things that we like, the things that we hold near and dear and still kind of soothe us are things that we had around us when we were growing up. So Mm -hmm. I listened to a lot of old school R&B, hip hop, and things of that nature. So my mom used to play Tony, Tony, Tony all the time, and I used to sing a lot of their songs, except I would jack up the words because I swear I heard one thing and she said no nah, that is definitely not what they said but you you was flowing so I just let you be <laughs> she she but let you be in the motion of the song so that that's all that matters you did. felt it you felt she it did <laughs> I did feel it but you know that's what music is supposed to be anyway that's what art is supposed to be about what you feel mm-hmm. but for me a lot of times like I don't think I was nurtured as much as a as a child artist And I think that kind of happens a lot Mm -hmm. in a lot of communities, but especially the black community, you know, we're supposed to try to find sensible things to do with ourselves. So that way we can provide, so we can go to school to work to provide and never truly live. Mm -hmm. So at this point in my life, I'm trying to make whatever I do something that will provide generational wealth for my family. But at the same time, I love to do it. So I never work a day in my life. And what got you to that point? What was kind of help get you to that point of making that decision of, of and, and being able to see that? Because, you know, a lot of people can be in those situations and they don't even realize that they're not uh, having their creative, their creative side fostered. What were the things that kind of brought you to that point? So for me, it, it was just the right people in my life. It was just, you know, some people come into your life for a season, others for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's those seasonal people who play their role and then those those lifetime people who have continued to support, uplift, love, and care for me. And, and they believed in me even when I faltered and had doubts of my own and I was insecure about my own talents. They 
pushed me and they told me, no, you're more than what you believe. Hell, you're more than what most people would ever say you are just because they either don't like you, they're envious, whatever the case may be. But, you know, they continue to, to push me to let me know that I was more. And that's amazing to have a support system like that because you, as you as you said, not everybody gets that support system and not everybody gets uh, the ability to have that creative energy fostered. Now, what do you think allowed you? Because sometimes you also have to be, and I think it speaks to you as well, and it speaks to the fact that you were open to that that level of information and that level of support. Because some people cut it off because they're thinking of more sensible things. You know, like, as you said, more sensible uh, jobs of, like, I have to make a lot of money quickly, but not think of that long-term generational wealth of providing further than just yourself and, and further generations. So for me, it was, you know, I I did do like a lot of us do where you kind of work to provide. But at the same time, for me at a young age, I kind of had to step into that role. I kind of had to, you know, grow up a little bit sooner Hmm. because my uh, at the age of 14, my grandmother had a stroke and she could no longer take care of herself. So in high school, when most people were, you know, worried about, um, homecoming and dances and, and just all of these different things that you typically will focus on in high school. I spent my days, you know, going to and from school. And when I go home, I take care of my granny. I didn't go nowhere, really. It was rare that I went out. It was rare that I did most things. But at the same time, when things got hard for me, the things that I love the most is what I clung to. So singing, writing, poetry, um, reading. I was actually the kid that would read long, thick books, various genres, and I cut off my TV. Like, I wouldn't even have my TV on. I'd be sitting quietly in the dark. If like if I, if it started out daylight for me, you know, I would just use the natural light, and I'd read a book, and, I, and it would just be quiet, and I would just be focused. But I clung to the things that meant the most to me in times where, you know, I should have been able to just be a kid, or I should have just been able to to just feel free but where most people you know when things get hard they they just focus strictly on what they have to do to get ahead I was thinking about the overall picture it's like I work to get ahead but each each choice and each decision that I made put me in a position to to find the right people and the right motivation so you know I took care of my granny I had my son when I was 19 so I found out I was pregnant with him right after I graduated high school and about a year after I had my son, I shipped out to Navy boot camp to go into the Navy Reserves where I found my husband, who beyond everything that we've ever been through has supported, loved, nurtured, and cared for me. And he was my strength when I felt weak, as well as my son's godfather and several other influential people in my life. We may have fallen off. We may have had bad times, but real relationships and real friendships were always mendable. Mm-hmm. And it's just about finding that, you know, a lot of times we think we have those people, we befriend all of these people just to find out that over a handful of these people are not for us. Yeah. They say they're for us, but the moment they see you succeeding, the moment they see you doing more, doing better, or trying to achieve and, and accomplish more, they say they're for you, but what have they done to show you that? What have they done to support you? And are they are they the type of people who, you know, drag your name through dirt behind your back but in your face the smiling and, and telling what other people are saying that's true um that just reminds me of something i saw uh actually today on instagram um from uh the grassroots podcast which is a is a really good podcast that people should check out but it was basically saying in the post it was like if you're gonna say that you're a friend or that you're someone that supports somebody don't just say you know oh i like it on instagram or like that like if you really support somebody you'll go to their shows if you listen to their music you'll buy their book you at at the least read it. You know what I'm saying? Those are things that right. will truly show that you support and care about the person and what they're trying to do. We we treat celebrities often better than we do our friends or what we call our friends. We'll buy their shoes, we'll patron their shops, we'll do all that stuff. But when your friend says, "Hey, I'm starting a business," have you gone there? Have you bought something from them? And when you go, do you ask them for a discount? Like, no. Yeah, they're your friends. But they're I a agree. business. <laughs> they're a business at the end of the day. Businesses don't don't work by giving out discounts. Like if they did, 
like uh, more business will go out of when you go when people buy their Yeezys, they don't go, "Hey, can I get a discount?" And if they do, they're or not Dolce Gabbana or exactly or go Dolce Gabbana or Gucci or Balenciaga, whatever. Uh, you, all of them. Oh, how about this? Let, let's be basic. They don't go to, you know, the Chinese people when they go to get their food or go and get um, hair supplies or things. Like that. They don't ask for a discount. Even if they do ask for one and they don't get one, they don't then leave and not patron it. They still buy. They still purchase items from them. They still uh, use their businesses. But Agreed. we have to take that same per- uh, that same mentality with our own because that's the only way that we'll succeed. And it's just... Like I said, when you get a strong team like that, which which you do have, it's that's that's amazing, and that's at the end of the day, most people just need an opportunity. You just need one opportunity, and then a good support system to help that opportunity flourish. With that uh, support system and, and that growing momentum, what led to the book, or what what was that? How did that momentum carry into the process of of making this book and, and writing this book? So for me, it was, it's kind of like, you know, the different things that you see and you go through over the period of your life, the different um, things that you may see other people go through as well, they kind of play a role. I'm very empathetic. I've always been an empath. I've always, I've always been emotional. But at the same time, based off of my own environment, I also realized at times, though, a lot of people told me I was wise with the way I carried myself. So they perceived me, perceived me to be older than what I am. I was very ignorant. And I was very naive and I was very childish. And what I mean by that is, for those of you who may begin to follow me, you will see, I look very young. I'm 25 years old, but a lot of people have told me that I look like I'm a 14-year-old, but they've always told me that I look like I'm mixed. Like, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you have pretty hair. Are you mixed? Are you black and white? Are you... Indian? Are you Asian? Are you Native American? Are you Hispanic? I've literally been called a little bit of everything that that is on this earth, but it's to equate, you know, that my beauty had to come from whatever other ethnicities that I had to be mixed with. It couldn't just be that I have a black mother and a black father, and I am African American or whatever, and my blackness and my melanin made me beautiful. Mm. It had to be that this other ethnicity made me look so exotic because, you know, that's typically what the word that they'll try to use, like, oh, you have all of these exotic features. So back then, I was like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm mixed with. I'm probably a mutt. And as I got older and I realized that that was really naive, that's kind of like, you know, um, whenever... Black people call each other the N word. Mm-hmm. That's actually like, yeah, we we say that we use it to try to, to try to reclaim it from the history that it has. But you don't hear African Americans and uh, no, I'm sorry, Africans, South Africans. You don't hear them use the word Kaffir. They don't want to use that word because they know where it stemmed from. They know the hate that came from it. So why utilize it? Just they they just stop use they don't want the word to be used altogether, which is what I think we should really do within the black community. But I say all of that to say, you know, the same way that we reclaim that word and we try to use that word, I try to make light out of something that shouldn't have been made to be a joke. I should have really been taught, you know, it's not okay for somebody to assume that you're mixed. It's not okay for somebody to be like, oh, you're pretty, or oh, you're beautiful for a black girl. Are you mixed? Mm. What where does these features come from, you know? So that was one way. And then, you know, growing up watching these kids, looking at these kids and watching videos of children who don't believe that they're beautiful or hear, you hear them say that they hate being black. They don't want to be black. They want to be a light-skinned black or they want to be white. Or, oh, I have to straighten my hair to, to fit this European standard when black girls, black people in general, you know, we're not meant to fit inside of a box because we break the mold we can make various types of children because people tell me my daughter look like she is half filipino or honestly we're you know i'm i li- i currently live in hawaii so they think my daughter is polynesian or um a black hawaiian so just kind of watching the various struggles thinking about thinking and reflecting and reminiscing on the things that i went through and then also with my son my son was actually told by a mixed child whose father is white that she did not want to play with my child because he was too dark um for other children to tell my kid you know my my son is very friendly he'll walk up and be like hi my name is jamel 
what's your name? Would you like to play? So on and so forth. Mm. And for one child to jump down and, and, and play like they're running away, whispering, like kind of like they were whispering, but yelling at the same time, criminal. Oh, wow. I, just various things that I've seen, various things that my six-year-old child has gone through that has made me realize that a lot of these books are necessary. And I'm trying to make them to where they're universal as well. I give children of color and of the African diaspora the positive message and image that they deserve while also educating children outside of our community to understand who we are. I want them to understand that just because people in general look different from you, their hair, their features, their body is different. It does not mean that they are unworthy. It does not mean that they are less than or beneath you. It does not mean that, you know, that you have to make yourself feel superior compared to another group of people or a person, whether it be based off race, sexuality, religion, um, gender, just anything. It is not necessary for you to do that to those people, especially for things that they themselves cannot help. Black people cannot help being black. Yeah. Transgender people can't help the fact that they feel, though they were born one race, I mean, not one race, one gender, they can't help that they feel that they were supposed to be another. And yet you beat them down, you make them feel inferior, you make them feel unworthy. Oh, you're going to hell. Oh, you're this, that, and the other. That's unacceptable. So for me, it's to educate the masses while also giving that positive image and that message that you don't see often. Our children don't see it often. All children need to see that. Whenever it's a positive message, you always see a white child or Asian child. White people are equated to be pretty or are better based off of their appearances. Asian people, you assume that they're intelligent or they're very good with their hands or they can make clothes. It's just all of these stereotypes and these biases that we are, you know, raised and, and these these things are instilled in us when they should never be. You should get to know each person individually. So, you know, with this book, I really wanted to touch on all of that. And those are a lot of the same things that I'm going to try to touch on every time I complete a book, every time a book is finished. I want all children to know they're capable of doing all of these things, to be compassionate, to love everyone, to be kind, to judge people. If you have to judge someone, even though it, it should never be your place, but as human beings, we do judge because it's just who we are. And that's part of the free will that we have. You judge them based off of their own individual character. You judge them based off of their morals, their values, and the way they carry them themselves, their mind. You don't judge them based off of the actions of a few that are highlighted on, you know, these multinational huge media outlets. You don't, you don't do it because of what CNN says or what Fox News says or ABC, you don't do it based off of what they're producing because that may be just one isolated incident. What it reminded me of when you were talking, especially when you're talking about um, uh, how you were as a youth and the idea of how you were kind of giving people passes, it reminded me of the song by Rhapsody, Black and Ugly. And it's touching on that idea of people equating black to ugly, how she internalized that and made that, you know, made her feel that way. I just thought it was interesting because they, you guys kind of share that kind of bond of trying to break that mentality down for other children, other black women, black girls growing up that, you know, because as, as a, as a black man, yeah, I see it, but it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna resonate with me as close as it's going to resonate with you because you've experienced it. You know what I'm saying? That it's, it's, exactly. it's different. So i never really thought about it you know, from that perspective until I heard Rhapsody talk about it on Black and Ugly, which was on her album, Layla's Wisdom. But actually I heard, um, she's talked about that for a while, but uh, on the idea of beauty, the album that she has uh, prior, I think came out in 2013, I want to say, that's really when I first kind of thought about that idea that she was talking about. I've kind of thought about it before, but the way she presented on the, on that album, it, it it provided a, a different viewpoint for me. And I think your right. book can do the same thing for other uh, people, provide a different insight to, to this idea, especially, like you said, it, I think, it, like you said, I think it's good for both people, people of color and people not of color, like you said, because it's teaching them, wow, I never thought about this. This is something that they go through. Wow. I should be mindful exactly. of what I say and how I treat them so that I don't make them feel this way. Because 
it's, it's education because when you know something about somebody else, if if you don't like to, you know, some people like to cuss. That's just their thing. They 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 cuss a lot. But then, right. The, but there's also those that cuss a lot. But when they get around their grandparents, they don't because they're mindful that their grandparent how it makes their grandparents feel. So I'm going to be respectful right. of them and not right. necessarily saying I'm changing who I am, but I'm I'm being re- I'm changing who I am for this moment to make them feel more comfortable because it's not that big of a deal to make them feel more comfortable. I think that is what songs like that and things like that help bring to light is making others that might not feel it and be able to experience it, make others feel more comfortable because we're humans. Part of humanity is thinking for others and thinking about others. And that's, that's part of it is, is making people feel comfortable if you can without sacrificing your own comfort to a certain degree. You know, right. Um, so I think that's a very great point that you brought up in regards to your book as well. The whole aspect of um, with your son as well, because uh, I don't have children either. So, you know, there's perspectives that you're providing that I'm never going to. Well, I won't say never, but I don't have the experience with at this mo- moment of uh, them running away, calling them criminals. Like it sounds like it could be innocent and, and just playful but at the same time that has that can have a psychological effect on him of why do they portray me as a criminal <laughs> out of everybody and, and else like did. you know what i'm saying like and why why so like we have to keep that a, in mind you know what i'm saying like others we have to keep that in mind like the images that they're seeing is having effect on them now how big of an effect is going to be individual and and based on you know other factors but we have to be mindful of that yeah i mean I would have thought it was playful if my kid hadn't asked him, you know, do you want to play firefighters? And he said that. And then as he ran past me, when he said it, he started saying, I don't want to play with him. I don't want to play with him. And then he went over to his mother. Mommy, I don't want to play with him. But I, it took everything in me because as a mother, as a parent, the last thing you want to do is have your child be hurt when all they want to do is play. They just want to make friends and be a child and play. And they don't understand why they're being treated differently. So, you know, when the kid said what he said, I yelled after him, you don't have to play with him, sweetheart. And it did take, I I am the type of mother, I'm a sailor. So my mouth is bad. I do cuss like a sailor. I'm actually working on it because I I was that person who, you know, watched my mouth around adults and my elders and things. And lately I've I've kind of uh, haven't been doing that, but that's something that's old school that I want to keep intact for Mm. myself so I can actually lead by example when it comes to my children because I don't want my children to think it's okay for them to constantly cuss around me, constantly be disrespectful around my mother and their Mm. grandparents, you know? But, you know, when that child said that, it took everything in me to be bigger, to be a parent, well, to, to be better. Because I know when I'm looked at, though, if people actually stop trying to make it seem like black women are just mean and we're bitter and and we're angry, it's not that. It's what did you do to us? What did you do to our babies? Because we're just like animals. Realistically, we're all like animals. Our primal instinct is to protect our own. So for your child to be disrespectful and nasty and hurtful to my child makes me want to be disrespectful and nasty to hurt your child and you because I'm protecting my cub. Yeah. And so when he went over to the mother and he said it, she kind of looked like she saw a ghost because I yelled at her too. Like I told your son, he does not have to play with my child. And she did not correct him. And I guess his father was there too. They did not correct him at all. Uh, I mean, they did not tell him he was wrong, that he shouldn't have said that. They didn't do any of that. So with that being said, you know, it, it really, it really triggered me because it just kind of made it more evident that my child, as a child, means nothing to anyone outside of me and my family. I mean, that's a lot to take in. And that, that kind of reminds me of um, Michael Eric Dyson's book that I read, uh, Tears We Cannot Stop. And there's a, a, a part in that book where he talks about when his girls, he has uh, two daughters, uh, two, well, two daughters at the time. I'm not sure if he has more children now, but he had two daughters at the that and their first experience uh, with being called niggers and having to explain and so the same thing as you, like fighting the, the eternal instinct to instantly be angry and express that, but being at the same time mindful that, as you said, I have to try to set an example. 
Cause as you in your in that situation, your son seeing it, yeah, you could have said a lot nastier, you know, uh, nasty things. What you said wasn't nasty at all. It the truth. He doesn't have to play with him, and that's fine. Because, and I prefer somebody like that not to play with my child, just because those energies energies are contagious. Exactly, and you don't want that to rub off. Because as as I've said it before, hate, uh, bigotry, racism that's taught. It's not learned. Kids don't. Nobody is born and says, don't. "Hmm, I hate you." No. They learn well, it based on their environment. Exactly. They learn it based on their environment and what they've seen. So, And it sucks that I have to bring up children in this type of environment. But I actually, you know, looking at a lot of this stuff, it makes me want to actually take, take my children out of the United States. Because there are countries I can take my children to. They won't be harassed by police. They won't be thought of to be different. They'll actually be looked at as exactly what they are, children human beings but you know it everything isn't that simple and i can't just run away a lot of us can't run away because a lot of us can't afford to get a passport or their record won't allow for them to get one that's true so you know that that leads them to be stuck here in a cycle that has to be broken we can't break the cycle unless we under we have to unlearn and relearn and we have to understand that a lot of the things that we do aren't right so for me, the biggest part of writing these books, because I do want to write a book about how mothers in general should not be thought to be a specific type of way. And I will use, you know, a black mother as a representation for all because the black mother is the one who's thought to be angry and bitter and nasty because she's protecting her own. When, when you look at her, you should think of all women. All women do this when it comes to their children. All women do this when it comes to their family. This Day Woke podcast episode is sponsored by Triple Apex. At Triple Apex, they know the importance of a healthy, active, and safe sex life for women. And living in an environment where an understanding, knowledge, and respect of women's sexuality is essential for this. Visit TripleApexForWomen.com to check out their products Again, that is TripleApexForWomen.com. Or just click the link in the description below. But it's just, you know, just taking it step by step and trying to find, I'm honestly making lists of different titles of books that I'm writing, that I want to write next, whether it be a novel or a short story for children, because they're all things that I think aren't being talked about. And for me, my books are to create the dialogue as well as to instill a good message, you know, because nothing changes unless a dialogue starts. No, that's true. And it doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be necessarily a debate, just a discussion Hmm? to understand where the other person is coming from. Did you put them, did you put yourself in their shoes to understand where they're coming from? Yeah, Everybody has a reason for their actions. And, exactly. and finding out what those reasons were and then moving on from moving past moving from there. Sorry. I wanted to get a, a little bit into the, the process of writing the book. Take us kind of through that kind of process of, you, you know, you came up with the idea about the book. You had as you have these strong feelings and these these strong ideas that you want to convey to the world. What was that next step for you? So for the next step was actually saying it aloud. Because, you know, you can have thoughts to yourself. You can have all of these ideas because that's the biggest problem. People have ideas, but they don't speak them into the world. Words and thoughts are the most powerful tools that we have. You have to speak them and think them into existence. If you give it to the universe, the universe will give you the tools necessary to actually make those actions and, uh, and those steps that you need to take to make your dreams of reality begin. You know, it's essentially... You speak it, you think it, and you begin to take those steps and use those tools to manifest and build your foundation around you. So I first spoke it, and when I spoke it, I did. I had the thought to myself, and I spoke it aloud to my husband, who told me, you want to do it? Okay. What you want to write about, and when you going to start? When is your deadline? He challenged me. He made sure that I wasn't just bullcrapping. I said I wanted to do it. He didn't want to hear no excuses. So there was that. And then, you know, we were in the process of moving to Hawaii. So I didn't actually begin to write until I got here because it was about 
a month and a half process of us getting everything packed up, moved, cleaned out, making sure my mom was situated, visiting family before we came here. So once we got here, when we were still kind of like in an unsettled, unrested kind of state, mm-hmm. I began to write. I began to write my my first transcript, and it came out like a spoken word, as I'm sure it kind of clicked for you when you read it. Yeah, it, um, it has a it has a rhythm to it. It does, because I thought for me, I can't speak for all children, but for me, those sing songs and those rhymes and things, they were really catchy, and they really stuck with me yeah. when I was a child. So I figured saying it like a poem, a really, really beautifully, eloquently put poem, would really stick with all of the children. Yeah, I, I think it was a, it was a nice touch. Thank you. I didn't force it. A lot of people get writer's block. But it's not necessarily that you're blocked. Is that, you know, your brain feels like, okay, I'm kind of stuck at the moment. But you know what? We're just going to kind of, we're going to think and we're going to do other things. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. When you don't force it, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be concerned about how bad or how good it comes out. Because realistically, writing, art, singing, poetry, all of it is the same. You just, it's its a flow. It's like going with the wind. It's a flow. It's a breeze. It doesn't form the way that you want it to do, uh, you want it to when you want it to. It's kind of, th- kind of think about it like rocks and diamonds. It takes time. It takes pressure. It takes a lot of heat and work. So I started it, and then I didn't touch it for like two weeks. I didn't. Because... I didn't have anything else to put down at that moment. And I wasn't going to stress it. I wasn't going to dwell on something that I can't actually do at this moment because trying to force myself to put more words down on this tablet for this book wasn't going to come out the way I wanted it to to come out and sound. So when I found, you know, I kind of actually, I really did. I got very close to my deadline, which I set my deadline for (laughs) January 31st. Uh, I set my, I set it for January 31st. 2000 dang it when did we move here 16 2016 actually so no actually january 31st of 2017 so just a year ago gotcha that was my that was actually my deadline and i actually got it done about the day before and when it came to me it just flowed and when i got to the end i'm like yep this is it this is the end this is this is my book and I knew it was a children's book, so it came out to be about a page long. But I know when you break when you break the um, the actual transcript up mm-hmm. to each page, it'll be longer than what it seems. Yeah. And I also wanted the the words to be big enough to where children who may not have the best eyesight could read it easily. That makes sense. So more accessible. Yeah. Exactly. So with that being said, you know, I did that, and then I started trying to figure out how do I proceed from here because I didn't really know. I just know I wanted to write a book. Technically, I wrote my book. <laughs> gotcha. So how do I go about getting it published? Exactly. Right? Yeah, now, yeah. The, the hard part too. Yeah, after you got yeah, the content, so, you, you want to give it out to the world. Now you've got to figure out that mechanism and publishing it or you know turning it into a book takes a process. So I actually ended up, I actually, with the help of my husband, I got a mentor. And my mentor actually ended up being my husband's uncle through marriage. Okay. And this man has retired three times <laughs> yeah. and he's not even in his fifties. Oh, wow. Uh, Renaissance man. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, he is a published author, actually a best selling published author. His first book sold over 300,000 copies. Yeah. His second book is also, if I'm not mistaken, a bestseller as well. And it's just, he, he owns his own business called Soul Caritas. They do a lot of different, like, improv shows. They do a lot of television shows. They do so many things. And then his fiance is one of those women, those career-driven women who got a family, but, you know, she, she does a lot, and she owns her own business as well. So when I spoke to him, he asked me to send him a copy of the transcript. He said he thought that it was great, that it just needed to be edited, asked me what I wanted to do, how I wanted to go about it, kind of gave me his tips, what he did, what he thought would be more affordable for me, considering, you know, by the time he went to write and publish his first book, he was already well off as far as financials concerned. Gotcha. So it was nothing for him to to spend the money necessary to go through a legit publisher mm-hmm. and, and do all of that. It was nothing for him to actually spend that money to, to do that. Yeah, he's going to, he had um, a different process because of the capital. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He he had the the capital to, to, to actually finance and pay for his book, whereas 
I did not. And I still don't. But I'm proud of myself nonetheless because the process that I took was still a great feat that a lot of people who say that they're writers or have books that they've written but have never published, you know, I did it my first time and I did it within a year of the time that I actually said that I wanted to write my book. Yeah, that's that's so for, that's a feat right so, there. You're a published author. Exactly. Exactly. So he was like, you know, you can independently publish if you don't have the finances to spend like I did to do this, this, and this, and make sure that when you go through to, to publish a book, make sure that you market it to everyone because your message is, is generational. It's, it's going to go past these next several generations. It's a book that can be utilized for the future children and everything and breaking it down to you need to make sure that this book is marketable to everyone because mm-hmm. it's a message everyone needs to read. Yeah. So he told me the stuff that he felt I needed to take. He told me about Create Space. It's an independent publishing company. If I'm not mistaken, it's also a subsidiary of Amazon. Okay. So going through them, it's like you the biggest thing that you do, like you can actually pay for services through them to get to get your cover and different services done if you uh if you haven't already outreached them and outsource them to actually get those those things that you need for your book accomplished, like your cover, your bio, your photographer, like your author's picture, and just any, all those little things, you know? Mm-hmm. If you haven't already outsourced to get them, then you can go through them to get a lot of that stuff taken care of it with additional funds that you can pay to them to get them done. Well, for me, I outsourced everything. And when I did it, I, I did go within the black community. I actually went on... Black Artists Connected Facebook page and try and I and I searched I just kind of posted really that I needed someone who could create a graphic image for me because you know they're children yeah I didn't feel like me taking a regular author's photo and putting it on the back with my with my bio was really gonna do much for them because they're not really concerned about that Very so true. what I did instead was I found an outfit that I felt was appropriate for children Mm -hmm. as well as convey the bulk of the message that I was trying to convey as well. So I got dashiki print skirt. I got a shirt from HBCU's everything that said Bay black and educated. And I had my Afro out with a flower in my hair because I wanted children of color to be able to kind of look at that and it speak to them. But I wanted, like, we wanted the background. I actually wanted something different for the background, which would have actually secluded a lot of children. And Carlos, <laughs> my uncle, mm-hmm. had actually, my uncle, my mentor, he told me the reason why it was a bad idea. He was like, first of all, you're going to close off a lot of children. First of all, like, because I wanted, like, this this African tribal print background. But he was like, first of all, children outside of the black community aren't going to pick that book up because they're not going to feel like it's for them when they look at it. Mm-hmm. Second, a lot of children within the black community and their parents aren't going to think to pick it up because it's not an image that they've been taught or been shown. So they're not going to connect that it's for them. Yeah, it won't resonate with them. Exactly. So what we did instead was we took the picture that I took, mm-hmm. I gave it to a black graphic designer who took and created this animated image of me and we made that the focal point of my cover. So that picture of me conveyed the fact that I'm talking about black beauty, but the background with the happy colors, the playground and the little rocket, you know, that just, that drew in all kids. It gives a fun environment. It made it a very friendly environment and child friendly in general. I wanted to ask you about the art inside as well. Yeah. So on the inside, I actually reached out to my friend. I met her through the Navy. She just recently got out, just recently had her first baby. She created, she started drawing and, and painting when she was in the Navy, and she got really good at it. So, you know, I reached out to her because I thought her style would fit what I was going for as well as really speak to children because, you know, there's shockers in there, and there are a lot of mothers in general who are into chakras and Buddhism and crystals and and more spiritual things that that would speak to. Yeah. As well as just just various images and different and, and, and goals for me was just for each child 
to be a different complexion, have a different uh, hairstyle, different texture, hairstyle, different features that are all still from the same community of the African diaspora. So when a child flipped the page, they, you know, they resonated and they saw themselves in one of those pictures. And, you know, her, her art company is called Creme de la Art. So I just, I wanted to really go within the black community to just kind of turn out a good piece of work to show them you don't always have to sell out. You don't, and, and selling out to be clear, I don't mean like you go through a big publisher. So, you know, you had to spend all this extra money. I don't, I'm not meaning in that sense. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sell out on yourself. Cause a lot of times when you go through a publisher with your book, they own a portion of your book. Yeah. They get, they, you don't, they're getting something in return. <laughs> they don't do it for free. Exactly. So either they're, exactly. you're giving them a lot of money up front, which would defeat the purpose if you have to go through them, or they're yes. taking a percentage on the back end to compensate for the money that they're putting up. So it's the exactly. same thing like record labels is, is, is that exactly. idea of, as Music you said, industry, exactly, all of that. as you said, sacrificing a piece of your art or a piece of your work for monetary gain so yeah i definitely i definitely understand where you're coming from on that point yeah i just wanted just to to be clear yeah. for everyone <laughs> who may listen i just wanted everyone to understand where i'm coming from mm-hmm. but i'm glad that you understand and you get it but you know you don't have to sell out and do anything that you're not comfortable with so going through create space i may i mostly just pay for the manufacturing gotcha. so like my book is set uh has a set price of 12.95 on amazon for the paperback copy and 7.99 for the kindle ebook version and i thought to make i can always go back and and change the price for the kindle ebook but i wanted to wait until i you know got a decent amount of wealth accumulated to even put out my second book from my first one before Mm. I lowered that. And I would lower it when I was about to release my second installment for my actual, you know, my, my series, which the series itself is called Melanin Pride. Oh, wow. That's, that's a great name. Thank you. And so, you know, when you pay the 1295, I don't receive that whole 1295, $3.65 come out for the manufacturing the shipping of that book. Yeah. Yeah, they got to get And that. exactly. And then um, I receive royalties off of that. So I receive like $9 and some change off the actual selling of my book. And then I receive like $4 and some change in royalties. Hmm. It's I kind of I kind of feel like as I'm going through this, I kind of feel like um Left Eye when she was breaking down <laughs> why CLC sold so many records but they were broke. Yeah. I appreciate you breaking down those numbers because there are business owners, uh, young authors out there that, you know, they have these ideas, but, you know, it's great to have the art and the content, but you also still have to think about it from a business sense that, yeah, you have this great idea, but you have to figure out how to give it to the masses and, and get it out there. And at the same time, you want you want to make it profitable so that you can continue to make more because, like you said, with you, it's not... The, the the book has a great message and we want to give more of these messages. The only way to do that is to have financial stability to do that. So people, I think people just have to keep that in mind of that, you know, it, it's a balance to everything. It takes money to continue to produce, you know, good work like that. Right. Which is the reason why, you know, like from time to time I may see a black child or family and I may give a copy of my book for free. It's not because I don't want the monetary, but I also know word of mouth and then just this kindness and this blessing to this child, to these, to this family, that's going to be word of mouth, which will actually gauge people to go and search for the book as well. And, but at the same time, like, don't expect to see immediate financial gain from publishing your book or publishing any art for that matter. Mm-hmm. It should be, you it should be more than spend, that. Yeah, Exactly. So, like, just back to the original thing, aside from Create Space, you know, I paid five over $500 for my actual illustration to be done, which is honestly a steal because illustration takes time, money, um, yeah, materials. Yeah. Exactly. So $500 plus for that. I spoke with my husband's uncle again as well, who his fiance actually owns a publishing uh, company or uh, I don't want to say publishing because I I can't remember the exact 
no worries. Yeah. platform. Yeah, like everything that they do, they do a lot because they actually do like agent. They do agencies as well. They have um, clients that they actually have under them as well. But she edited my book. That was seventy five dollars which he paid for that because I wrote a book that he wanted to write for children but couldn't figure out how to put it in the words where children will understand because mm. he writes for adults. Gotcha, yeah. So, you know, I wrote the book for him. He paid the $75 to his fiance for the editing of my book. Mm. And then after that, I also paid $85 for my bio. I had to pay $75 for my graphic. So this is just like understanding how much I actually spent. Yeah, I spent a lot of little things spent, and a lot of big things that all add up to a exactly. lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I I spent I spent a little under two thousand dollars, but I still spent a nice amount of money, and I did not have the finances like everybody else. No, I did not pay for this all of this stuff right right out like one time after another or anything like that. No, I did it when I had the finances to do so. Hmm. Yeah, you, you, like I waited until I had the money to make those things a reality. I did not just spend this money knowing that I had it or any of that. I just, when the money came and when my husband and I could afford it, because the only person who supported me during this time was my husband. Hmm. My mother would have loved to, but she had her own hmm. trials and tribulations that I told her she needed to be concerned about. And when this book came out, I wanted to make sure it was based off of the hard work that he and I put into it. He invested in me knowing that I could do this. And that, yeah, that's, that's love. I mean, and how smart you guys are. It's, you have this, and it shows you the dedication about it. That is more than just the financial gain. It's about, like you said, you have a message that you truly believe in. And, and you wanted to get out there. And that was your vision. And now you're pushing that vision as hard as you can. You didn't you didn't just go into it blindly. You thought it through. Like you said, you didn't just say, we're going to take all this money that we have that we need for bills and other stuff, and we're going to throw it into this dream that we're not sure is going to make money. No, you're like, we're gonna, when, like, as you said, when we get the money, we're going to spend the extra money that we have that we can find or that we can figure out how to budget properly. You know, we're going to use that extra or that, We'll take, we'll sacrifice certain things from here to help pay for this here, but not sacrificing our needs of of living. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference, and that shows right. really drive and determination. And those are the people that are going to be successful versus those that don't do that won't. And it right. it, it comes out with your book. Like I said, I, your book is a really good book. I think really people should, uh, especially um, children everywhere. I think should read it. Um, and it's, it's funny that you actually say that, that you bring up the mixed race children, as well as just kind of like when you said that everyone may not see your vision. I, After I finished my first book and I was working on getting all the necessary steps completed to, to actually get that published, I have already completed a second book that does actually take on that actual message that everybody's not going to see your vision. Everybody's not going to believe in your vision, but as long as you do and you keep pressing, then there's nothing that you can't accomplish. And you, there's nothing that like that, that your vision will actually be within reach and you'll actually be able to manifest it and, and watch it come into fruition. But also with the mixed race children, when I first published the book and everything, I posted it on a couple of different pages and everything. And one mother who was white, but her child was white and black. The fa- her, her child's father was black, but she was about 11 years old. You know, I kind of wrote the book and with the thoughts of infants up to about seven, eight, mm-hmm. maybe nine. But nonetheless, I still think it was good for other children if, if it was a message that they needed. Yeah. Her daughter was 11. Her daughter was 11 and was kind of going through that crisis of how do I identify and trying to kind of really understand her identity and self-discovery and everything. And she knew that as a white woman, she could not help her daughter go through that. But she said she got the book on ebook for her daughter. Her daughter read it and loved it. And she said, I just want to let you know how much your book helped my daughter. Yeah, that's amazing. And how much and how much she loved it, because regardless of what they choose to identify, it's really not how they identify themselves It's what they feel Mm -hmm. about themselves more than anything. And that showed her that, yes, I am white. But I know that because of the color of my skin, this is how most people will identify me. And 
I think it really helped with her to understand who she was and, and that, to love herself. Exactly. That is okay. And because that's a, you that and that's why even though the language and the the verbiage of the book is, as you said, you know, for for younger children, the message is universal. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, as you said, uh, uh, you know, barely can understand words to, you know, 60 year old man. Like it's the message yeah. is still universal. It's just agreed. So, um, I, I, like I said, I think it's a really good book and I'm really excited to, especially I want to, I want to see that next book as well. If you, as good as you wrote this book, I'm excited to, to see that book as well. I just want to, I appreciate it. No problem. I, I want to just, first of all, um, say thank you again for, for doing this podcast and I want to direct people on how to get the book. So, uh, you can go to createspace.com. You can also go to her IG page, which is KJ books, two, five, two, seven on Instagram. Again, that's KJ Books two five two seven on Instagram or Kyra Johnson on face her Facebook page. Definitely interact with her. She she posts and she she'll conversate with you. She's really good at and, and dialogues and getting back to people. And as you can tell on this podcast, man, she has a lot of great information and you know a great conversation to have. So I want to say thank you again for coming onto the podcast. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or promote or or uh, say before we get out of here so my biggest thing as far as promotion is concerned is you always invest and you buy things that you truly believe in i hope that through this podcast you come to believe in me and believe in my art and my message and find yourself wanting to support my vision and my my books and, and anything else that i tend to put out and i also want to say um live with intention be bold in the face of adversity, and, uh, live the life that you were destined for. Everybody will want you to live your life your way, but you can only live your life for you. And if it doesn't make you happy, then it's not right. That's, that's, that's some powerful words and, and some good words. Um, so thank you for that. Like I said, again, go check out her book. It's called Little Black Child. Uh, again, that's Little Black Child. Like I said, it is a really good book. Go check it out. If you have children, go buy it for your children. If you don't have children, buy it for your friends' children. And uh, if you're a teacher, buy it for the kids in your class. So I want to say again, thank you again for listening to another Stay Woke podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson. You know our motto, live, listen to some great music. And for this one, read some great books like Little Black Child. And above all, love more. We're out. Uh-huh.